0: You could be anywhere listening to anything, but you're right here with us. So we thank you. With you today is yours truly, Beat Cox. And I want to continue to give shout outs and, of course, blessings to those in the new year. Our wishes, of course, for all of you that you have a safe, successful and happy new year, 2023. We're continuing on in our series, guys. We want to thank you all for continuing to support the show. Thank you for spreading the word. The word is definitely starting to get out there. We have seen the numbers have continued the momentum from 2022. So guys, keep up the good work, man. As always, thank you for your support and continue to spread the word out there amongst your family and friends who love old school hip hop and R&B music. As a reminder, you can always visit us at vaultclassicpod.com. That's vaultclassicpod.com. Again, you can go there to visit all our episode pages. You can listen, leave a review, leave a voice note. You can also click on the coffee cup in the bottom left-hand corner shaded in yellow for our Buy Me A Coffee page. There you can leave a monetary donation and a note to support the show monetarily to make sure that we can keep things going for many years to come. And of course, all of our social media channels are on there, our YouTube page. You can check that out. And of course, make sure that you're going to our social media channels and following us on all of our social media platforms. Again, that's VaultClassicPod.com. As we always say here on The Vault, our motto is hashtag Open the Vault, hashtag nothing but the classics or MBTC. And we're continuing our year opening series. Last week, we did the year that was 1993. And today we're covering the year that is 1998. As you know, the years that we're covering here on the Vault Classic Music Reviews podcast are the years of 1993, 1998, and 2003. Albums that are all turning 20, 25, and 30 years old this year. And we're giving our preview is what you can expect of some of the things and some of the albums that we'll discuss during the Vault Classic Music Reviews podcast this year. And as we like to do, we review the year that was, give you an idea, sort of some of the events that were happening during that time, some of the historical highlights, just to give you some context. And then we dive into the albums. So without further ado, we're going to get into 1998. So just to talk about some of the non-music related topics of 1998 and the highlights and headlines, 1998 was the beginning of the weather phenomenon, or at least in this iteration of the 20th century of El Nino, the first thing that our generation heard about it. El Nino being the weather phenomenon and also the accompanying La Nina, which causes extreme global changes in temperature and rainfall. It was something that we saw where really bad hurricane systems in 1998, 1999, it continued on through and into the new millennium. It was a term that we couldn't escape, especially in 1998. As a matter of fact, one of the hip hop albums that was released in 1998 by the deaf squad was actually aptly titled El Nino. Something that definitely was a term back then that we paid attention to a lot and was definitely in the news a lot at that time. But in 1998, at the beginning of the year, As we talked about on our last review of 1993, where he was inaugurated as president. Well, this is President Bill Clinton's midst of his second term and the second and final term he would have in office. But right around the end of 1997, there was mutterings and rumors about something that had happened in the White House with an intern. And yes, I'm talking about that intern. So at the beginning of 1998 there was rumors about Bill Clinton in an affair that had happened between him and an intern named Monica Lewinsky. Well, this was a big deal because there were a number of different probes that were happening into the Clinton administration and somehow this affair ended up getting revealed to the public. President Clinton came out, I want to say in January 1998, said in a press conference the famous words, I did not have sexual relations with that woman Miss Lewinsky. well throughout the year he will be proven wrong now whether or not he actually had sexual intercourse with her is left up for debate but what we do know is definitely something sexual in nature happened and it was a big deal because it was the president of the United States he was married and not only that that denial also led to the fact that he was being brought up on charges of perjury that he denied that in front of some legal proceeding that would lead Congress to attempt to one impeach him, which they did, but then put him on trial for impeachment, which then he was acquitted a couple of weeks later. But this was probably the biggest news story overall in 1998 was the Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky affair. I mean, it was on all the talk shows at late night, all of the news channels, It was something where people looked at it and said, oh, well, for those who were Republicans that there, said, this is sort of the example of far the leadership of the Clinton (laughs) administration. It was blown into something really, really big. I mean, it was a huge news story, but nonetheless, Bill Clinton came out of it relatively unscathed. Whether his marriage suffered or not, more than likely it did, but it was something that now, even years later, we still talk about it, and it's funny because Monica Lewinsky is still active out there on social media and that really had an impact on her because that was her reputation for the rest of her life. But nonetheless, on to the other headlines. In February, NASCAR legend Dale Earnhardt Sr. won the Daytona 500 on his 20th attempt. And it was a big story back then because Dale Earnhardt had did everything in the world of NASCAR racing. He had won, I think, at that point in time was seven league titles which was, I think, tied for the record, if I'm not mistaken. But he had never won the Daytona 500. And so on his 20th attempt, his 20th start, he won the Daytona 500. And I remember that being one of the top stories on SportsCenter when it happened that weekend. Unfortunately, though, three years later, going into the final lap of what would be his 23rd attempt, he ended up dying. And that was a crash that happened to the Daytona 500. That usually is what opens the NASCAR season. And it was a very tragic loss for the world of sports. In May of that year, actor and comedian Phil Hartman, known famously for a lot of different movie titles, but more notably for Saturday Night Live, died. And he was murdered by his wife, who then took her own life in Los Angeles or in California. And that was a big news story then too, because for those who weren't around that time and aren't familiar with who Phil Hartman is, he was a massively big movie star. And not only that, But he was also very well liked amongst not just fans, but his contemporaries and his peers in Hollywood. There have been so many different documentaries and also specials that have aired about Phil Hartman's murder and the circumstances around it. And let me tell you something. It's been about 25 years now. There was still a lot of interest in his story and still a lot of disbelief on how that went down. And Phil Hartman, relatively young in regards to Hollywood careers, losing his life and having it come to such a tragic end. In June of that year, we talked about the Bulls during the last recap in 1993. Well, they completed their second three-peat, defeating the Utah Jazz 42 in what was Michael Jordan's last game at the Chicago Bull. We all remember the final play with the crossover into the jump shot with the famous shot of the arm extended towards the air as the shot went into the basket in front of a shot. At that time was Delta Center crowd in Salt Lake city as the bulls took the lead and then won the game to defeat the Utah jazz. This was the season in the end of the season that was subject to the documentary, the last dance, which we all know and love, or most of us know and love that was critically acclaimed. And it was the last time Michael Jordan will play a game as a member of the Chicago bulls. And lots of us are still trying to figure out why that even happened, but it was great. And that was the end of their second three Pete and At that point, Michael Jordan and the Bulls didn't had six NBA championships. In September of 1998, Google was founded. Yes, that Google. (laughs) The Google that is the number one search engine and probably one of the top websites, if not the top website in the world that's visited by Internet users, was founded in Menlo Park, California. 1998, I can remember that I started using Google probably in 2001 in college, and I had no idea that the company would be as big as it is right now. And just to goes to show you that these things take time. And Google really started to make its headway right around the time when I was in college and starting to get out of college. And by that time, they had become a technology giant. Other sporting news as well. This was the year of the big home run chase, as they called it on ESPN for the 30 for 30. It was the big league summer and big hot summer, really. This was the home run chase between Mark McGuire of the St. Louis Cardinals and Sammy Sosa of the Chicago Cubs. Mark McGuire breaking what was Roger Maris' Major League Baseball single-season record with 70 home runs in a season, while Sammy Sosa hit his own record for his club at that time, which was, I believe, 64 home runs. It was a riveting summer, sports summer, to be able to hear back and forth. And that documentary, that 30 for 30, really captured the attention that the country had behind Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and them pretty much trading the lead throughout that summer of one person having the lead and the other having the lead. And there will be times where Sosa would hit a home run and then McGuire would come back and hit another one, or there would be a night where Sosa wouldn't hit any and then McGuire would hit two. And as that summer ended, what it really did, it brought baseball back. Because this is, I would say, about four years after The Major League Baseball season ended with that strike where there was no World Series. The rest of the season was canceled and baseball was still kind of struggling to come back because when you end a season like that, the fans were very slow to come back. And it really wasn't at the height where baseball wanted it to be. But when baseball saw the home run chase captured the imagination of all these fans, oh man, they saw dollar signs. Now, conversely, what it also led to was the fact that McGuire has now admitted that he used performance enhancing drugs during this period. Sammy Sosa has not admitted to it, but it's widely thought of and probably probable that he did use some sort of performance enhancing drugs due to the fact that he wishes not to answer the question. And what has now causes the fallout of major league baseball is that there were so many different things that came out in regards to Balco and then Jason Glimsley and then other reports that came out as far as all these major leaguers that are suspected to have, and also now proven have used performance enhancing drugs all the time while major league baseball kind of turned their eyes away so it really was an interesting thing to think about was later on that year in october the yankees defeated the padres for nothing and sweeped them to win their second world series in three years that 1998 yankees team had the most victories by a team in major league baseball history combined regular season and and playoffs that was really a Yankees team that was a juggernaut I mean they were a force that entire season and when they got to the World Series we all just kind of figured like yeah nobody thought that the Padres really had a chance and they proved us right I mean the Yankees were a team that nobody was going to beat that Yankees team that year in 1998 but now we're going to get into the music highlights and to talk about the year of 1998 I feel I have a particular feeling about this year of 1998 and the albums that came out, the music that was released during this time that I truly believe in my heart of hearts that 1998 was the last year that we truly had a juggernaut year in hip-hop and R&B combined together. Now, if you look at the list of a lot of the hip-hop albums that came out in 1998, the list overall is not as deep as other years. I will have to say that because I think Back then, it was a big deal. I mean, being able to read the source, and at that time, Double XL was out, but then also Blaze Magazine was out during that time, for those of y'all who remember, there was a lot of hype being made about so many acts during that period. Some of those acts lived up to the height and exceeded it. Others, hmm, not so much. But looking at the list of the albums from 1998 hip-hop-wise, it really wasn't a list that, mm, Overall, it's just kind of like, you know, I've seen some better years in regards to the overall list, the depth. But what you had at the top as far as the best albums from 1998, man, did you have some heavy hitters? This is the reason why I say combined, you put it together with hip hop and R&B. This to me, I think, was the last true juggernaut year of the two genres when you combine both of their forces together. and a lot of people will stop and say, you know, oh, there's be other years afterwards? Yeah, sure. But we'll talk about some of the titles. When I go through these titles, you'll know exactly what it is that I'm talking about. Just to start off, one of the first releases in that first quarter of 1998, Gangstars, Moment of Truth, their fifth album. Man, an album that really, amongst my group that was sitting at the lunch table, for which, of course, this podcast is based off of was something that we were longing for, waiting for, and it had been years. Four years exact since we had had a Gangstar album. And to be able to have Primo and Guru back together to do their thing, this album did not disappoint any of us. As a matter of fact, there are many of my friends and the other fans that I talked to that believe that this is actually their best album. And man, some of the hits on here with You Know My Steez, the Moment of Truth track, Betrayal with Scarface, Above the Clouds with Inspector Deck, The Militia, I mean, oh, this is really a vintage Gangstar album. But then you had probably the hottest rapper in 1998, the late great DMX, releasing not just one, but two albums that were number one albums that both went platinum, that both are classics. Definitely dispute that they are classics. The first one being released in the first half of the year, It's Dark and Hell is Hot, In the second one, in December, right before the year ends off, dropping an album when I think a lot of us didn't even expect an album to come out, Flesh of My Flesh and Blood of My Blood. Both of these albums were number one albums. Both of them went platinum. And both of them had tracks on here that, my goodness, this is a year that DMX reigned supreme. We talk about these albums, like the hits and singles from both of those albums, The Survival of the Illest Def Jam Tour, that year, where he was the headlining act, and we're talking about a Def Jam that included not just DMX, but included the likes of Method Man, Redman, Def Squad with Eric Sermon, Redman, and Keith Murray, Foxy Brown, also affiliated with Def Jam during that time through their partnership with Rockefeller, was Jay Z and the whole Rockefeller clique during that time as well. So when I tell you that tour was one of the best tours that we've seen in the last thirty years, hip hop wise. There's a reason why, and you could hear that lineup and understand why that tour was so hyped. Oh, not even to talk about the franchise player from Def Jam himself, LL Cool J. But one of the biggest albums from that year came from someone that had the immense talent that when you talk about the best lyricists of all time, this was the beginning of it. And that's what Big Pun's Capital Punishment. Man, to be able to hear Pun and that rapid fire flow and the way that he was able to, oh my goodness, I mean, there was great, great commercial hits from this. We talk about I'm not a player, still not a player. Twins with Fat Joe. I mean, Terror Squad really, to me, is when this got up and going during that big pun, Capital Punishment. Man, super lyrical with Black Dot out of this world. But other albums that came out during that year. Raucous, Lyricist's Lounge, Volume 1. We talked about the previous year in 1997, the release of Fun Crusher Plus by Company Flow. Then the sound bombing first compilation that came out in that fall they continued their momentum into 1998 with the lyricist lounge volume one a double disc that featured so many different artists out there a play of course on the lyricist lounge itself that occurred in new york city that was a spotlight for underground artists raucous continued their momentum and they would not stop just there they would continue on later on in the year you had other albums such as exhibit 40 days and 40 nights Well, I felt like Exhibit started this run where he had a couple of albums in a period where he was one of the more sought after lyricists on the West Coast and was someone that had his respect because of his lyrical firepower. The release of The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill, (laughs) one of the albums that when you talk to so many people out there, it's an album that so many regard as their favorite, one of their favorites and one of the most memorable albums during that time. Lauren branching off from the Fugees, now starting into her own, and she released a gem of an album that came out in 1998 that gave her so much acclaim and success that by the next year the Grammys came out, she was the poster woman of that Grammys because of all the hardware she racked up as a result of that album. I mean, there's so many other things we could talk about, so many other nuances as well to talk about that album because it isn't just black and white, just how good the album was. But definitely uh, something that when we talk about, you know, people loved and still love that album. It's an album that 25 years after it came out, people are still willing to go to a show and have her be two hours late to a show to still show up to see her perform off of the strength of that one album. Crazy. Then we had a time in the September 29th, 1998, where we had three albums released all on the same day. That probably is talked about as one of the best, if not the best, release date in hip-hop history. And we're talking about these three albums. Jay-Z's Hard Knock Life, Volume 2. Equemni by Outkast. And Black Stars, Most Def and Talib Kweli R, All coming out September 29th, 1998. Man, you want to talk about having a hard decision to make that day if you can only buy one album. If you had funds for one album. It was a hard decision. All albums definitely that were either classics or essentials. That's not even to mention the other two albums that came out during that day that were notable from hip-hop groups, Brand Nubians Foundation, and a tribe called Quest final album, which we thought at that time was their final album, The Love Movement. So September 28, 1998 is a huge hip-hop release date. Talk about the quality and the depth right there. If you decided to release on that date, man, you had to take some back seats because of the albums that came out during that time. Other albums, of course, of note, Pete Rock Soul Survivor. This was his solo debut that he had, an album that if you talk to so many hip-hop heads out there, they love, love this Pete Rock album. I love this Pete Rock album. This was actually a personal favorite of mine of 1998. I stayed with it in the CD player, being able to listen to it. Of course, True Master, Mind Blowing, Vinny Mojica, the two with him and CL back together. Man, it's it really was a great album and something that I loved being able to hear with Pete by himself and had so much assistance on there. Guest appearances by Method Man, by Inspector Deck, by Corrupt, by Black Dot. Man, it's <laughs> a lot. It's so many different ones. To me, what I thought was the the beginning of the commercial success of Cash Money Records is with this album, and that's Juvenile's 400 Degrees. I mean, I don't think that you get success nationwide and even worldwide if you don't have the success of Juvenile's 400 Degrees. That is the album to me that with a kid living on the East Coast in Maryland in the D.C. area, I first heard about Cash Money and knew about them by this album right here. Juve. I mean, seriously. And even though back then I didn't like Cash Money, as I grew into a bigger music fan and could appreciate what it was they were doing and their style of music from New Orleans... I see the importance of this album. It was huge. Then we now get into one of the last albums that came out during that year, right around the time where DMX released Flesh of My Flesh and Blood of My Blood was Busta Rhymes' extension level event, The Final World Front, which was sort of the last of the, I want to say, apocalyptic albums that he released in that series that the world was starting to come to an end. There was only a year left or so that the year 2000 would lead to be the end of the world. The Busta Rhymes had The Coming in 1996 Yeah, When Disaster Strikes in 1997 And then he had ELE, The Final World Front in 1998 And so many people will say that this is Busta's best album Really, I want to say some of Busta's best work And during this time in the late 90s He was as big as a rap star as anyone out there But now we get into the R&B albums And the R&B albums here in 1998, man (laughs) <laughs> we talked about the ones in 1993 the ones in 1998 I'm just gonna run down these titles for you right I'm just gonna go ahead and run them down released in 1998 R&B albums Brandy Never Say Never Faith Keeping the Faith Drew Hill to the Drew Maxwell Embria, Monica The Boy Is Mine Whitney Houston your Love is My Love, Kelly Price, Soul of a Woman, Escape, Traces of My Lipstick, and 112 with Room 112. <laughs> now, count on your hands the amount of heavyweights that I just named right there in that list. It's amazing, isn't it? All of these R&B albums came out in 1998, and they all were massive hits, I mean, they all had singles that charted on the charts and were close to number one, if not number one. And they are all albums that 20 years later have held up fairly well. And in the case of a lot of these albums, they are undeniable classics. <laughs> all came out during 1998. Man, I just really like to say, man, when it comes to 90s, the r and genre was something that was so competitive. And if you <laughs> didn't bring your game, you got left in the dust. And this isn't even considering albums by Joe, by Maya. I mean, there are acts out there that were released in 1998 that released some projects that I haven't even named on this list. And that's not even considering that one of the singers that had one of the biggest years in 1998 didn't even release an album in 1998. And that was Aaliyah. (laughs) It is absolutely insane. Oh, my goodness. But that was the year 1998, guys. Man, what a year. We are going to have a blast trying to cover all these albums and bringing them to your doorstep. The moments, the perspectives, the memories, everything about this year to me, the last juggernaut year of hip hop and R&B combined. Because if you look at some of the albums on this list, man, you'd be hard pressed to find a year after 1998 where you could have this big of a list of releases for hip-hop and R&B combined after this year from 1998 until then. I would challenge anyone to find one better. But we're going to have fun covering it, and we look forward to hearing your perspectives, hearing your knowledge, also hearing your memories, interacting with us, of course, on social media and on the podcast, leaving us comments. We'd love to be able to hear from you, and we can't wait to get into it. And that is going to wrap up yet another edition of The Vault. Please make sure you are visiting us at vaultclassicpod.com. That's VaultClassicPod.com. There you can learn more about the show, check out our past episodes, join our mailing list, leave a review, or if so inclined, you can leave us a voice note. Click the blue microphone in the bottom right-hand corner to leave us a voice note to let us know what you think about the show or to just show us some love. To support the show, click the coffee cup shaded in yellow in the bottom left-hand corner to access our Buy Me a Coffee page. On Buy Me A Coffee, you can give a small monetary donation to support the show to ensure that we can keep the vault open for many years to come. You can also visit us on social media at Vault Classic Pod on IG, Twitter, and on TikTok. Also hit us on YouTube and our Facebook page. Like and follow us on social media. Subscribe to the pod and the YouTube channel. We do it here all for you. We appreciate the support. And if you have a friend, tell a friend and make sure that that friend tells a friend Always remember to keep your headphones on and your music loud, but not too loud. And as we close, we like to remind everyone to dream big, because dreams are the basis for creation. Always create, motivate, and elevate, because you were never destined or created to stay stationary or ordinary in this life. And on that note, we say peace. Thank you for listening and coming into The Vault. Please subscribe and visit us at vaultclassicpod.com. That's vaultclassicpod.com.